My goodness me. Here it is. Predictable. Well choreographed. Perfectly rehearsed. This is episode 8 of Grassroots, the only podcast dedicated to women's club rugby. In this dropped restart of a podcast, we discuss sports bras in far too much detail. Shed says Moose House, and we discuss the frustrations of ill-fitting kit. Our special guest interview is Fergus from Kitmaker Halbro, and we introduce our new festive countdown, The Twelve Finds of Christmas. This podcast will be like sitting in the clubhouse bar with a pint after a game. We hope you enjoy it. 22 months with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries for fun. Lou. She has got a remarkable strike rate. And I'm Jodie. The forward who can't stop scoring. I'm Molly. The cannonball coming through. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. What's the most grassroots thing you've ever seen? There was the time when the men's first team forgot their kit and they had to wear the women's kit. It looked like it had been sprayed on, it was that tight. And they all had this girl can on their arm. <laughs> we had a game at university once and I forgot my sports bra. And being a large-chested lady, this no one had one that would fit me. So I just had to go spray just a normal bra. Let's just say... It was nip slips all around and we tears were over my shoulders the whole game. It was a disaster. Basically, there's been a massive debate about the teams who have kit in the Premiership and at local level where women's kit doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit in the right places. So it's not aesthetically pleasing on the hips. It doesn't go in in the right places. It's straight down and too big. And I think actually the Premiership sale kit for women is a prime example of kits not fitting properly you see i wondered with that because it looks as if they've gone for a deliberate baggy fit because it looks really too big for some of the players but why would you go for a baggy fit with a game where you don't want to get caught i just feel you're opening yourself up to well i've got a baggy kit so it's more to grab onto if you've got a svelte kit that fits in the right places or even's a little bit too tight but not like cutting your circulation off definitely not intentional i don't know it just doesn't seem right to me that we're either giving people kit that doesn't fit and it's too tight or it doesn't fit in the right places or we're going too baggy to avoid people being self-conscious it just it looks odd like it's a nice kit but it doesn't look okay the fact that it's three sizes like you said matt three sizes too big for some of the players like the flankers yeah. look like they're wearing dresses or the <laughs> The nine looks like she potentially is wearing a prop shirt. It, it just doesn't look professional or good. So maybe it's part of their training regime. They're going to bulk out into it. So they're currently like on the protein shakes and hitting the roids and pumping tin. They bought the kit now so that it will fit next season when they all look like WWE oh, wrestlers. Should you let that rumour go? <laughs> maybe they're just um, embracing their grassroots kit. <laughs> Somehow I doubt that very much, Lou. Get a new beef up saying they're on the stud so it gets a uh, place for us in the Premiership next year. Get on the roids, yeah. yeah. So you heard it here first, Sale Sharks, definitely on the roids, apparently, according to Jodie. Don't sue me, don't sue me. Or they need to eat a lot of pies, pies. over the next... <laughs> yeah. Talking of match food, we went to watch Sale Sharks, which is where I noticed the kit. And yeah. we went to the bar and they did this really cool deal where you get a pint and a pie for £5. However. A pasty 
does not constitute as a pie. There is a significant difference between a pie and a pasty. It was mere chicken and mushroom Greg's slice, not an actual pie. You like see, that's the... not a pasty either. Yeah, but it's not Cornish. I think it's really cool. You get a pint and a pie. I think that'd be a really good thing for us to do at our club. What we need is a golf buggy. I've talked a little about this in the past. Oh, obsessed. Like with your knapsack sprayer of beer. Yeah, they're both great ideas. Yeah, I want the buggy idea. What would you want the golf buggy for? Well, think about a golf buggy. You know, it's electric, so it's green. You know, they're quite light, so they're going to churn up the pitch. And you can literally fill it with steak pies and beers and sell them to supporters. And you can drive to them rather than them having to come to you. So they're not going to miss any of the game. They're not going to miss Joe Gamage going under the posts or Molly Layden ripping it up in the midfield to go to the bar to get a pint. Right, the pint I comes thought- to them. You were referring to, like, it, during the game, it was going to bring the ball on or something. I was like, that's a bit lazy. Well, I could do that as well. No, it's bringing a... the pie and the pint to the, the thousands of supporters. Yeah. yeah. That's quite clever. Yeah, there was an injury. We could, like, strap the body to the back and take it to the ambulance a bit quicker as well. Like, lasso it onto the back, onto the bar and, like, drag them over to the ambulance. Yeah. You just need, like, some kind of trolley. Get this written down. I'll book us in next for Dragon's Den. So anybody out there wants to sponsor us from a golf buggy manufacturer, I don't know how much they cost, but I'm sure they're very affordable. I reckon we pay it back within a season easily, probably a couple of weeks. I vaguely remember using a golf buggy at Louise's 21st, the third birthday when I was pissed. (laughs) Me and Chez says, boarded said golf buggy after double-double gyms at Louise's free bar at her 21st birthday. We went down the uh, golf course. Wow, <laughs> after double-doubles. Sherry instigated it all. I blame Sherry. Yeah, and I also blame Sherry for putting that sticker on my car. What sticker is that? Fake taxi. Is it still there? No. Well, I've sold the car now, but I, I tried my best to get the sticker up. I was driving around Crew and Antwitch with a fake taxi sticker on the back of my car, and I hadn't actually realised for a while I was near Brian Lee's school and I saw some teenage lads walking past my car, like pointing and sniggering. What the hell is this? Anyway, right. So when I got home, I was went out and I'm like, oh my God. Was that the day you came out of Morrison's having taken advantage of the buy one, get five free cucumber offer as well? So it looked particularly dodgy. This bloody sticker was like stuck on with super glue. So we only managed to get some of it off. There was still the imprint of fake taxi. So, so some poor uh, buggers driving around in a battered old Vauxhall insignia in the crew and Antwerp area, which in certain lights can double up as a fake taxi. Fake taxi on the back, yeah. For all of listeners that aren't sure what fake taxi is, do not put don't it into Google. Don't find out, yeah, don't do it. It's just a local <laughs> taxi service in crew and Antwerp. And you may or may yeah. not get to your destination. Matt? Just a yes. quick one. I think we might need to do a bit of a disclaimer because we've had a, a few young girls teams started to follow us on Instagram. And oh, I nice. feel like we should put out like a censor to say, please listen to our pod, but make sure that you've got parent supervision at all times. <laughs> Which we definitely haven't got parent supervision. There's a warning at the start uh, in an yeah. explicit language. Job done. There you go. To our younger listeners, the following podcast is not suitable for those under the age of what we're saying, nine. Eight. Nine? Wait. How old who appears on it? Evelyn. Grace is 10 and I don't let her listen to it. All right. I'd say you've got to be 16 or above to fully appreciate the nuance 
of some of the language used in this podcast. And some of the descriptions are quite visual. So maybe don't listen to it late at night. Should we have a family five minutes where we just talk about really soft, cute <laughs> puppies or something? Well, we could just say... Well, that's going to go wrong, isn't it? For a start, yeah. you said cute puppies. We're we talking about puppies in this podcast. <laughs> He's allowed me to go up to the mountain. Oh, hey. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. <laughs> I, the rock. I, the river. I, the tree. I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. The Greeks had Socrates, Romans had Cicero, the French Descartes, and this is the Shakespeare of grassroots women's rugby. This is where legends are made. Jez says. I don't even know how podcast is. How's your week been anyway? Yeah, not too bad. Well, as can be expected when you've just moved house. How's the new house? Yeah, it's alright. It's really lovely. It's just like... It was, well, not sudden. Martin reckons I've known about it for six months. I, I beg to differ. I probably haven't known that long. But I hope these things don't happen because I didn't want to move house, really. I couldn't be bothered with it, so I don't let it in. <laughs> and then the time came to let it in, and we were moving in three weeks. This is what I do with very stressful situations. I shut them out and pretend they're not <laughs> happening. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> we were moving in three weeks. I was hoping we'd get gazumped or something, and we didn't. So, you know. Should have yourself, Shez, just put in, a, put in a secret offer. <laughs> Amazing. It's not that I didn't want to move. I didn't want the hassle of moving. You didn't want the, the removal men to find that special box in the wardrobe, did you? No. Do you want to go back a bit there? I was the removal man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is how it pans out. This is why I wanted to get gazumped. But suddenly, I'm doing it. How was it? Martin got a pickup truck from work. It wasn't great. A pickup truck? He's gone and smashed the horn on me prize ram. <laughs> you know, like a stag's head that goes on the wall yeah. with big horns? I've got a massive pink and green tartan ram. It's really cool with massive horns. Martin picked it up by the horn because he didn't know the horns came off and smashed one of the horns to pieces. Oh, dear. This is the email that I sent to the company because I'm trying to get a replacement horn. I'm telling you, if I can't get that horn replaced, someone's going to get it, because that was my favourite thing. Was it? Hello. Following a conversation with your very helpful assistant, Martine, this morning, please find enclosed the required information. During a recent house move, my idiot of a husband <laughs> managed to drop the right horn to my lovely tartan ram. He didn't realise it come off. I bought it from you a couple of years ago and I was hoping to get a replacement. If you can't get me a replacement, do not worry because I will wall mount my husband's head <laughs> instead. I have not yet had a reply. I can't cope. It's me prize ram. I love it. It's my favourite thing that I've got and he smashed its fucking right horn. I'm going to have to put a wig on it or something. It's the only thing you can do. Take the horn off it, the other one, and put a sombrero on. Got a horn patch. A horn patch. Yeah. So yeah. they haven't replied now, so they currently think I'm some sort of weird serial killer because a friend to warm out my husband's head. <laughs> <laughs> Never anyway. a dull moment, Sherry. That's how the house move went. Oh, my God. Ended up with a broken horn. I must say, I never want to move house ever again. It's the most miserable experience. Oh, I've gone from five bedrooms and three storeys to four bedrooms and two storeys. But it's not even that. It's that the rooms are a lot smaller. We had a double garage before and a massive shed. Now we've got a single garage and no shed. So you can imagine. It's like, where's my table going, Martin? My choice was you're having the dining table or the fridge freezer. What's that about? <laughs> so we're either having food, but we can't eat it, or we can sit down, but we've got nothing to eat. 
Good. Yeah, that went well. So did you have any role in choosing this house, Sherry? Because it doesn't sound like you put your foot down. No, 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 no. It's it's just a stopgap. It's just a little gap while we find the right one. So Martin found it online. He just saw the words four bedrooms and went, yeah, that's the one for us. So until the day we actually got the keys to it, none of us had seen it. No, God. It's just a little stopgap while we find the correct house. This could end up being a saga, this story. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the next instalment. Yeah. Probably best you don't put any of this on Shaz says. It could be a divorce on the cards. <laughs> Did I tell you about the latest sponsorship offer? I'll leave that as a surprise for the next episode. It's on its you way. You can tell us. It's on its way. It'll be a surprise to the listeners. It's going to be a surprise to you too, Sherry. Trust me. <laughs> Oh, my God, does it say Cher Says on? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, I want a top that says Cher Says. <laughs> I'm sure that could be arranged. <laughs> Why is it a surprise? What is it? Let's just say... What is it then? <laughs> Do you really want to know? Am I getting a new laptop? No. <laughs> the company that's uh, giving us a, a sponsorship deal on a trial basis. Sex toys. No, might as well be. It's called uh, Manscaped. Oh. How does that fit in exactly. with the podcast for a women's rugby exactly. team? Exactly. So we've got some ideas. Don't you worry. We've got some ideas. So I haven't got, like, a garden to skate. <laughs> and if I did, it's not male. But you've got a husband who might like to skate his garden. Yeah, well, that's a Christmas present. Well, you can do it for him head. and accidentally oh, no. go in a bit too hard in the, on account of the horn that he broke. Yeah, there'll be no horn for him for a yeah, while. Well, <laughs> there will not. He's going to get the left one up his rear end if I can't replace the right one. I can tell you that because I am pissed right <laughs> off. It's my favourite thing. And now I've got a hornless round. <laughs> anyway, cracking on. Topic. I forgot to tell you about the topic, Sherry. Sports bra. Oh, I did tell you. I forgot I told you. Anyway. I don't really know what I can add to this. Sports bras aren't really my category. I've not had a sports bra incident. Huh. I'll probably have one now. You've brought it up. But I never, honestly, I haven't. Oh, I got stuck in one once. <laughs> Took like three people to get it off me. <laughs> but that's it. No, I've never had one on the pitch. It was so tight, it was so secure, it was great, a lot of security. But then the time came to get it off when I was hot and sweaty and, like, I think it was it had been raining, so I was soaking, wouldn't come off, three people to get it off. It turned into, like, um, like an elastic rope. Did it all get twisted up, like, at the yeah, back? Yeah, yeah, like the... that, that, you know what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, it looked like a string of sausages from the butchers. <laughs> and it just wouldn't come off. Three-man job. <laughs> Who were these three men, Sherry? No, they weren't men. It was after the women's game, but literally just anyone checking. would have done. I wouldn't have cared who it was. I just needed it off, and it was stuck on. It was great when I was, like, dry. It was not great after the game. and didn't think that through very well. It didn't unclip. It just went over your head like a sports bra. I've had to shield a few people on the pitch, like Laura Hollinshead. I think her zips up the middle, and it just unzips itself mid-game. So I have had to, like been like a human shield a few times but i've never had an incident myself i'm mine are normally quite secure that's good to know sherry a lot of people clearly have had more issues and therefore have probably not had the right advice when getting one so i guess for listeners that maybe haven't had the same experiences do you have any brands you can recommend or anything you feel that no no can help sherry getting blood out of stain today I told you sports bra is not my category i'm not i've not had no incidents I've had the same one since we've been playing. Oh. It's hard wearing. Hey. about you, Lou? Do you have like one a season? No, I've had one for about 10, 15 years. I don't even know what make mine is. I wouldn't ever go for one that fastens like a bra bra. You know, a... Claspy one. Clasp thing. 
That is not okay. Oh, I've got a class B I, one. I have one that goes over my head, like like an aerobic top mm. thing is what I have. I've got a class B one, but it also goes over my head, so I don't know. I get what looks right. What, fluorescent? Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> be safe, be seen. <laughs> I could be going straight from the rugby pitch to a dogging convention. You just don't know. Day turns to night, night turns to day. I have to be equipped. There's no time to get changed in the back of that van. No way. I have to get something that works for all occasions. <laughs> oh, God. So equipment generally then, show you're renowned for having a very colourful range of sporting equipment. So I've seen you in fluorescent tops, bright boots. Your scrum cap looks like it's been tie-dyed. That's actually called Shez Dog, that scrum cap. Is That's it? where it came from, Martin isn't it? Martin and the kids had it made for me. They actually designed it in the colours that they knew would like and they got to name it. You can do it on the Canterbury website. Nice. Why try and blend in when you were born to stand out? That's my theory. But it's stand out, Sherry, and it's being visible from I'm space, not which is sort of the category you fall into. <laughs> well, I won't ever get run over, you can be sure of that. <laughs> I'm like the walking, talking, green cross code. <laughs> if I turned up in normal, dull clothes now, people would probably take me to one side and ask me, am I okay? Do I need to go and have a latte? <laughs> Do I need a chat? You know what I mean? I'm this way so much that if I wasn't that way, people automatically think I'm on a downward spiral. <laughs> Sherry, have you had your daily Barocca? No, I haven't had any today, actually. I've been too busy for <laughs> I've noticed there's some red wine over there on the side in Louise's kitchen, so I may have a swig of that in a minute. <laughs> Fair play to you for having it there, because if there's wine in my house, I've drunk it. I can't believe it's there, or is that just what you've been drinking through the day? <laughs> that's, that's just leftover from breakfast, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> what is leftover wine? Is that even a thing? Well, not in a day. I mean, we don't have to talk about the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> In this episode, we're going to hear a really good interview from uh, Fergus at Helbro. Helbro are a kit manufacturer that uh, have designed a, a women's fit kit. So really interesting content. So I thought we'd use this opportunity to talk about other aspects of kit as well today. Fergus's mother's very poorly at the minute. So big shout out to Fergus and his family and, and hope everything's all right at, at your end. And thanks so much for your support so far. Fergus, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. So I guess straight off the bat, Fergus, tell us a little bit about Halbro. Yeah, Halbro Sportswear has been going for 102 years now. So probably if you've played rugby in the last 102 years, you would have <laughs> at some stage probably worn some kit that we've manufactured. Probably still got some in the bottom of my wardrobe. Definitely. I think they even made, used to make those old school cotton jerseys for like Nike and Reebok for those old international shirts. So. The ones that start off being quite comfortable and after you've been playing in the rain for 80 minutes, it's like wearing chain mail. Yeah, ends up totally bulletproof. It's probably one of the USPs. Obviously, we've moved on a bit now and it's getting a bit more of the modern kit. So yeah, we've having a bit of a relaunch of Halbro and over the last couple of years, it was quite clear that we supply hundreds of sides and We've seen huge growth in each club now, getting a women's side or age group girls' sides, and that sort of growing and growing. And it was more feedback from our clubs and one of our North managers, Nigel, he's a coach at Penrith, and he was like, we have got to sort out the women's shirt. And listening to your, you know, one of the podcasts a few weeks ago, it was quite clear there that a lot of the women's sides are just sort of fobbed off with old men's kit or providers just provide a men's kit. and say it's a women's kit but we developed our own shirt which was sort of about a year in the making 
a lot of toing and froing with two or three of our women's sides that we provide. So it's been a bit of a journey, but now we're there and it's all launched. So talk me through that design process then, because one of the big challenges with providing kit for women is the massive variety in shapes and sizes, isn't it? You know, men's kit, you've got the muscle-bound first-teamers, and then you've got the guys with massive bellies, and there's not much in between, is there? I know, mate, and I feature in one of those categories and not the one you want to be in. We started off with, it was a couple of sizes, it was Sterling and um, Corstorfin rugby from up north, Scotland way. We started with a, an initial prototype, we just got a bit of feedback from them and it was, the shirts are way too long in length, either way too big or way too small. And as we know, like I think you know, obviously men and women are totally different shapes and sizes and if you go to a shop, you don't pick up a size men's medium top if you're a medium women to you and eight to ten or 14 to 16 so sizing is totally different so we sort of reshaped the shirts as a starting point so it's we're making a shirt specifically for a woman so you know there's curves in different places the length of the shirt's generally not as long we've had a look at what the neckline is how the, the cap sleeves so quite a lot of thought went into it and there must have been uh, seven or eight rounds of different shirts made and finally sort of got there in the end with our set shirts and their size although i did like the point on the podcast the other week where it was we should just size and prop second row back row i'm not sure how we could do that but ours are sized like eight to ten or 14 to 16 so we sort of go from the smallest women's size right up to the you know as big as you want to go are they customizable to the point where you could have one custom made if you had a particular body shape that didn't fit the standard yeah, so we have size sets. So, for example, your club, Matt, wanted to order some shirts for the women's side. We can send down a size set. So during the lockdown, and a bit about Halbro, is that we've always manufactured kit, be it that it used to be for the first sort of 70 years of when it was here, it was all embroidered up north. It's all based up in Horwich in Bolton. So there was like a huge factory there, all this old school sewing machines, knitting the jerseys. That's moved on now, as everyone would know, to sublimation, where it's all digitally printed onto material then that's sewn into your, your garment with that we've got a chap who works for us linden he's worked for loads of the big sporting brands but obviously now good signing for us he was sort of the main catalyst in drawing up all the specs and all the real geeky side of it that i am interested in but some of it is quite mind-blowing how it's all made but to come back to the question if you, we, you say you've got a girl who's absolutely tiny she's not going to fit into an eight to ten or there's somebody that's bigger than me i'm x tighted prop so you know i've got the shapes in all the wrong places we can take a few measurements and yes in short we could customize a jersey to any shape or size you're never an x tight head prop you are a tight head prop yeah still got my boots still signed on absolutely <laughs> one of the big challenges that i think the women's game has faced is that getting the big companies to recognize the market is really challenging when the market is emerging rather than already there in big numbers how did halbro get over that commercial barrier of well there's a lot of money needs to be spent on the the r&d how are we going to get it to market and make our money back we're not the size of some of the bigger names you know like the england suppliers and things like that so because we're sort of quite a, a smaller brand and it's almost like a family-run business we are sort of in control of what we do we're not governed by having to hit certain targets and you might need to edit that a bit out but um <laughs> we're sort of in control of what we want to do so we know that like what is it now i think it's pushing three million participants for women's rugby in the world now and you only got to look at the sort of stuff scrum queens do where they post out figures of participation to population of the country which is quite different you see like i think kazakhstan's like number one for how many women play per person so really? it's not yeah and i think the uk or england are down i think it's per person 
of the actual population. So, you know, rugby is supposed to be like a massively popular sport. But I think England are ranked sort of 63rd on the list. So, oh, wow. I think maybe we need to get over to Europe. I see both sides of it. Having played men's rugby myself, and I've sat in meetings where we've, we've had to find ways of bringing some money in to invest in a new scrum machine or something like that. So I, I do get that it has to be a collaborative thing. But I think with women's team, they're often given the dregs of what's in the shipping container at the end of the pitch, aren't they, to, to train with when they first start. And when they start playing, like it's a big investment in UK, isn't it? it it's, a, it's a tricky one. Fundraising is always a nightmare. And the amount of clubs that ask me, saying, oh, do you know anybody that can sponsor a kit for us? And I think at Halbro, the nice thing is we always sort of try and work a way of making stuff affordable for clubs. And one brilliant thing I suppose Halbro has is because there's a few different sides to the business where they do a lot of work, where we supply hundreds of schools, we supply sort of medical companies with things like tunics and things like that. So one thing that we do is sort of a bit of a referral scheme and it's worked very well at a club called Lincoln, which we supply a lot of kit for and they've got a cracking women's team there. I actually went to their volunteers night on Friday night and I left before the chaos ensued. It was <laughs> getting a bit out of hand. It was great. And what we do with them is a referral scheme. So one thing that I think a bit of advice for women's clubs is if it's coming to us or another provider is just to say, we might not have a huge budget for a set of kit, but what we do have is a network of girls who all have friends and family that ultimately work as teachers or work in businesses that either need uniform or kits or playing kits for other sports. So there's always a sort of a trade-off and we're really open and flexible in the fact that if a club is struggling to pay for a kit, they can look at referring other business in, which obviously people are already buying somewhere. That's another way we can sort of help offset costs for them. A great idea. One of the dangers I find with a sports kits, doesn't matter whether it's shirts or training equipment and so on, is you've got to be careful of the gimmicks because some things you think, yeah, that looks great. And there's a slick sales guy comes in and there's a YouTube video and it all seems really kosher. You then get hold of it at vast expense and it doesn't quite do what you want it to. What has the feedback been when you've worked with clubs to design and, and fit them with a kit? When we started, it was we've got four or five different men's kits or in inverted commas unisex kits that we would sell to clubs and immediately the first feedback was the shirts are way too long so with that obviously we've made the kits a bit shorter in length and then changed the body type of them and that was sort of went from there and then I guess I think the next point was the collar width was so big so they're sort of shirts I guess hanging off they look like you know the necklines were enormous so they we edited those in I think the sleeves were quite long, so they were capped. And then the material type was the key thing, where we've we've got a couple of different, but the one that we use is like a four-way stretch one for the lady shirt. You know, the bodies are shaped slightly differently. They need stretch in certain areas and need it tighter in others. So, yeah, that was sort of the, the process it went through. But the main thing, I guess, for us is we've obviously made this kit and we've got quite a few samples of it there. If, say, your club got in touch, we would just post you a, a single shirt down with a prepaid label to send it back and to say that this is the shirt this is the material it's not going to be in your design now but get a couple of the girls to try it on who would be that size and and let us know what you think and since the women have started playing in these kits have you had feedback from how they felt and how it's improved the way that they've enjoyed the game yeah definitely one was i went myself we we supplied the met police women's side and also they did a couple of matt retina memorial games one was down at east greenstead and then we sponsored a women's Force 15, so it's sort of like a bit of a British police collect that played down at London Irish against some like a Matt Ratana side. That was sort of our showcase of this new women's kit and the feedback was fantastic. If you go on howbo.com forward slash women's rugby, 
we've got a brand new landing page there with Kiri Karen. She's a, a Richmond player. She was playing in both the Met game and the women's police game. Feedback from her was brilliant. It was, you know, the kit fits nicely. You can see the photos of them playing in the kit. So plenty of good images there. Yeah, that's sort of how it started. And then we thought, well, we need to, you know, do an actual bit of marketing because we've never really sort of thrown the kitchen sink at it. So we've got um, Zoe Aldcroft. She's this England back row, second rower. And she's at Hartbury with another player, front rower, Catherine Buggy. She's in the Ireland squad. So we got those two girls down and did a photo shoot down at Long Levens Rugby Club in Gloucester. And that was great. So they tried on all of the different kits that we had. We then tailored another thing to go on to is shorts. Haven't quite nailed it yet, but we're sort of tailoring shorts now. We got some tailored for Zoe and Catherine. And the feedback there was great on that side of it. So, and you see, you can see a couple of those photos on that landing page. So it's great to sort of get a couple of current players in the kit and, you know, getting feedback from them was also great. But we're also well aware that we don't supply the England side at the moment, long term plan, but we supply loads of the grassroots clubs. So it's great to have the mega fit full time athletes. But we also need to be aware that we're catering for the you know, local amateur side as well. So, Getting feedback from you know all the different clubs that we supply was probably a good thing on our part that we did. Absolutely. And what about you, Fergus? What's your journey in sports? How did you start with your association with Halbro? Played rugby and to go to university. I think my first club was Ivy Bridge down in Devon. That's a back in little rugby club. They've just amalgamated with Plymouth, I think, the women's side there. So that's going from strength to strength, which is it's always nice to see where your previous club's doing well. Went to St Mary's University in Twickenham was playing a bit at Harlequins while I was there in the sort of youth sides. Strange how rugby takes you, isn't it? I just went down to help out at a local club, Teddington Rugby Club. Yeah, I know that well, yeah. I played at Samesians in Twickenham when I was uh, living in that yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. So um, I went down there, as you do, just a few of the lads from university had gone down there more for social reasons and then fell in love with the place, 230-odd caps later. I left sort of 10 years after. And then I... Ended up randomly signing for Roslyn Park in National 1. Did a, played a few games there. And now getting a bit older and slower and bigger. I'm now one of the team managers at Roslyn Park. So then with the sportswear side of it came when I was playing at Teddington. One of the old coaches there, a chap called Ben Pegner. He just had a friend who was working at Raging Bull and Halbro at the time. And he said, oh, my mate's moving to Wales. Do you want an interview and to do the South East? And all the rest is history. I've been there for nine years now. And... Um, been good to see how it's all developed but i think you know linking to the podcast it's mad to see when i was playing at teddington but the women's side there was a sort of thriving then i guess you had loads of ex-england players who then one of them went on to be a coach down at teddington giselle mather she's now coaching at um at wasp so she's one of the pioneers for you know women's coaching isn't she she's fantastic for us and is doing brilliantly now and i just remember thinking christ i don't know how they do it how the hell do women's teams play on a Sunday, seeing what they get up to after the games, and then roll into work on a Monday? The women do not have it easy. I think my observation from being in amongst it for six years or so is they tend to go very hard very early. Men's rugby players, from my experience, would probably start, you know, whatever time and just drink steadily until the early hours of the morning, and in so doing, probably consume 10, 15 pints or something. Whereas women tend to go very hard and then they're, they're out for the count six seven points in so they're perhaps not <laughs> you know, not not putting quite the same amount away it just seems get like early doors, get your eight hours kipping 
roll on nine o'clock Monday morning. What's your observation been then, being in and around the women's game? Obviously, you were there really when it was embryonic and now to where it is today. What are the, the different things that you've observed when you've been going around the different clubs? I was quite spoiled, I guess, at Teddington because at the time there was really big names and they had a thriving team, which was, I don't think a lot of clubs were lucky enough to say that at that time. We think you're going back about 15 years now. But then there was a lady down there, Ali Donnelly. She's she sort of heads up scrum queens now. She was a big driving force in bringing Teddington women's side sort of up to where they are now. You know, everything from even how you, you address them. So it's, it's not Teddington ladies, it's Teddington women's side. And they were very big on the kit, the identity and how she grew that was sort of watching that firsthand, working with them, supplying them kit. Still being very good stead for being a lot more aware of the needs and wants of amateur women's clubs now how they retain numbers, their social side was brilliant. Big thank you to her, really. She was fantastic. And without really knowing it, I sort of now think, crikey, we need to be doing, we should have been doing that as a brand just sort of 10 years ago when I started. And I've heard a few horror stories as well about women's kit as well. And I don't know if you're, you know, I think the podcast is pretty open to all this sort of stuff. Very much so, yeah. The earthier, the better. <laughs> oh, it was, it's one of our northern managers. He said, look, I'm coaching this side, playing white shorts. One of the girls came off the pitch last week and she'd had an accident. It was the time of the month where those things happen. And she said, look, this girl playing in an age group side, absolutely mortified. You know, and he's been at loggerheads with the club saying, look, why is this club short white? You know, we've got five or six women's teams now. These things are going to keep happening. You know, and they're sort of, you know, they're white shorts because they've always been white shorts and that's the club colours. Bottom line is he's sort of driven some change there and now they're playing bottle green shorts. So just little things like that where I guess old school clubs don't really consider. There's obviously different barriers to participation for women than there is for men. And that's obviously one of them, how people perceive them, you know, how they look in the kit. You, could, you don't want to put people off. And rugby can be quite old fashioned where, you know, it's always been done this way. So it's going to be done this way. I think that aversion to change comes from decades of protecting the identity of a badge that doesn't carry the same resonance with new players into the sport. It wasn't that long ago where we'd still play away games and you'd see like, you know, there's a men's only bar at a rugby club. Yeah. You think, you know, obviously things are changing, which is fantastic. But I think anything clubs can do to just remove anything that's going to put people off playing, I think is what everybody needs to consider. When a committee's looking at rugby through the lens of a first team, and a first team that's been around for God knows how long, they don't have that wider perception sometimes of what it's like to play in kit that doesn't fit or on pitches that aren't well-maintained or with equipment that's just damaged and broken because they don't sort of get down into the grassroots and see it, so to speak. I think I remember the first time I saw Teddington minis and there's women on a Sunday. And it's you've been down to Bushy Park. It's a beautiful you know, surrounding there with deers rolling around the, off, on and off the pitches. And I think it was sort of after the first big social I went to, and I had to go back and get my car and my kit bag from the club. And I just sort of walked into the club, and there's three, four hundred kids. The women's team are getting ready to play, and you just think, God, I thought it was just a little social side. And you know, here it's just a bit of a powerhouse of junior rugby. They're doing fantastic things with women's rugby, and I just you think, God. You know, even then, I'm quite short-sighted to think it was just, you know, a good old men's team with a good fashion piss-up after. So we're quite excited for what, I guess, as a brand, we're going to try and do for 2022. So I don't know if I mentioned to you, we're obviously we've got, we're doing the, men, the women's shirts and shorts. One of the big drivers and what we're currently working on is by Easter 
2022, we are going to launch our own unique range, but it will match between a unisex range and a women's range over sort of 11, 12 items. Yeah, I don't think anyone's done it before or had it. So at your club, say, Matt, your men's side can have a, you know, an off-field range as well as the women's side in both cuts. So there's a choice. So if, obviously if you do have, you know, some girls that don't want to wear the women's stuff and there's a choice of both, but clubs want to have sort of a one-club feel and that sort of seems to be, you know, the general consensus of most clubs that we speak to. But they want the women's side to match the men's and that's the target that we've got. You know, prototypes are already being made now. So, yeah, the aim, I think, is to be one of the most sort of inclusive kit providers by the start of the 2022 season. That's the goal. Any of the listeners on here are keen to get in touch with us and give us any feedback. It's, you know, more than welcome. We sort of, we've just worked with the clubs that we currently supply, but I'm aware that, you know, listening to the, your podcast now, there's plenty of sides out there that have similar issues and I'm very keen to sort of hear them and see how we can help implement this into our new ranges. Fantastic. So what I'll do, Fergus, is I'll put your details in the show notes and, and on our social media. So if you can send me where you'd like those sorts of inquiries to go, uh, I don't want you to get bombarded necessarily, or maybe you do want to be bombarded to hit those yeah, targets. Well, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll pop my email <laughs> in there. And, uh... <laughs> Is that the best thing to do then? Put your email address in the show notes and, and promote that so that if people do want to get in touch and, and have a conversation with you about what you guys can do for, for their team, it's easy to get hold of them. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Fantastic. Great. Well, listen, Fergus, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you today. It's amazing how much goes into this sort of thing. And you have these conversations with teams all the time where the kit's an issue. But getting an insight into what has to happen behind the scenes for this to happen has been really interesting. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, no problem at all. One thing I sort of actually forgot to mention was how about the headline sponsors next year for the Rosalind Park School Sevens? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's quite a big coup for us. The nice thing is we were sponsoring it three years ago and then obviously it was cancelled for a couple of years. So it'll be the first time that we've actually been there. Talking to the organisers, Andy Higgins at Rosalind Park, just shows how the women's game is growing there is that the fact that they're running three full women's competitions at the School Sevens. Wow. So there's over 50 women's sides playing. And that's something that has never been achieved before. It's sort of from under 13s, under 15s. It's massively growing in schools. So big knock-on effect will be, you know, where are they going to play when they finish? So, and hopefully they'll be going down to their local grassroots clubs. Thanks so much, Fergus. Great to chat. Best of luck with the plan for 2022. Topic of today's conversation, we're going to talk about sports bras. So it's very difficult for a 40-year-old male to talk about fun bags and not sound a little bit creepy <laughs> titty, titty, titties. <laughs> see it's already started yeah where's your dock strap batty actually you know what i'm gonna dig that out and put a photo of it on instagram because i found it in the garage oh, the day. please it horrified even me and i've been wearing that for a long time so it's a monstrous piece of equipment having been getting, yeah we should yeah you that'll know. raise so much money <laughs> next game fuck the whiskey yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not going in our Christmas hamper. Uh, yeah, so we're also going to actually put together a Christmas grassroots hamper. So there's going to be a, a competition coming up in the pod. So we're going to put together a hamper based on all of the interesting things we discussed uh, during the last couple of weeks, which, it, let's put it this way, it might there might be some organic matter in that hamper. So, you know, we need to get on with it pretty quick. Oh, I was thinking biological. I've seen a preview of the flannels that have been... Don't give it away. Why not? I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, They've been... So, um, 
what's you called embroidered all will be revealed a bit like jody in the shower in the next episode <laughs> speaking of which jody that interview you sent me i haven't fully listened to it was that in the shower well it was just outside the shower you didn't give me the dictaphone it was my phone as my property i didn't want to get it wet if it was yours i'd be like Ugh, you know what i'm like give it the dog get it in the shower <laughs> i don't give a shit but it was my phone so you play on sunday i am right is it home uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Are you going to turn up for this match, Jodie? I Hopefully. will do my best. <laughs> <laughs> there will be all the relevant equipment provided. In fact, you can even have a go with the, with the flannel if you want. Is the dictaphone waterproof? Well, the normal way to sure find out, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> have we got a new dictaphone? Yeah. We've got two dictaphones now. Yeah. Well, don't leave fucking Jodie in charge of one. I'll take one. Maybe you can interview each other in the shower. How about that? I don't want you holding a dictaphone while I'm stood there naked interviewing another woman. That's a bit weird as well. That just steps it up a level. Jodie, I've seen you naked. Do not fear. Yeah, but it's kind of awkward when there's someone else there. It kind of feels like you're Laura Koonsberg interviewing like Boris Johnson or something. Are you calling Molly Boris Johnson? No, she's the one holding the mic. She's Laura Koonsberg. I'm Boris Johnson. <laughs> Sucks to be you, Jody. <laughs> Forgive me. I can't see the resemblance if I'm honest. I could be gingerbread of the year gets matched Jock Shrap. Happy Christmas. Have some crabs. <laughs> yeah, crabs. that's like the uh Give me some that's like the coal. Santa's coal. But because of like global warming we can't use coal anymore, so you get matched yeah. Jock Strap. <laughs> Every book <laughs> boy and girl gets one. It's probably burn as long as coal. <laughs> The fumes be more toxic, though. (laughs) Don't stand there. Yeah, yeah. He's at fire to it, and you see the ice caps suddenly melt. (laughs) We're joined today by Carrie Ann. Carrie Ann's a player at Crew and Switch Ladies, and talking in this podcast about sports bras and how much of an important part of the general equipment it can be. So welcome to the podcast, Karian. Hello, thanks for having me. Kez, sports bras are a big part of the equipment on match day. Talk me through your experience of that. For me, it's probably, apart from obviously your boots and your gum shield, it's probably one of the biggest parts of the prep for rugby, really. <laughs> for me, if I don't have a sports bra on, I probably won't play. Being a, a larger girl, it's quite, well, it's just really important to have one for obviously comfort support and your confidence as well when people are watching you that's interesting because that idea of confidence so in the past have you worn sports bras that you haven't felt comfortable in and what does that feel like when you're on the pitch in front of people watching oh yeah many of times especially like first started playing out I didn't have a clue what to sort of wear and Lou will know this. I used to wear like a bra and two sports bras just to feel that little bit more comfortable and it, it didn't work. And I think you then, as hard as it's not to, that's what you focus on during the game is people are looking at me or what they're going to be saying when really you, they're there to watch you play rugby. I have been astounded over the years, Kez, about how many bras and sports <laughs> bras you've worn at one time. But as I think we all know, they do tend to not fit terribly well and if you're a more well-endowed lady the struggle can definitely be real yes definitely yeah is that why you're always late out for the warm-up case yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting ready <laughs> i'm no expert on the subject but does wearing that amount of underwear restrict your movement to the point where it's actually uncomfortable to play yeah it can do and i think with the added sizing of rugby shirts as well which is another thing yeah it can be quite uncomfortable but I think at the start I never knew what type of sports bar to wear and so it was 
just whatever you could afford I suppose being a student as well so sometimes it probably wasn't even the restriction because they were not that good growing up I guess like when you're in your teens and so on it's a big deal for women generally to play sports through their teenage years isn't it something like 80 percent of people that play sport in their early teens actually drop out and don't do any sport for the rest of their lives then what impact do you think kit in general has on women's ability to stick with sport I think quite a big impact I think if you go into the general sort of view of women we have got a persona that we need to be so I think then also adding sport into the mix you've got that little bit more pressure to sort of look and be a certain way. If you went back in time to when you were growing up, Kez, how did it affect your self-confidence when you were trying to play sport? When I was younger, it, it never really bothered me. I've always been quite big, but it probably wasn't until I went to like sixth form and I was the only girl on the course. And that's where it started was like, oh gosh, everyone's going to be looking at me. That's probably why I was the only girl on the course, maybe, because women probably didn't feel comfortable at the time. Yeah, it wasn't until I started sixth form that I really felt I suppose I did have a thing like oh god can I do this should I do this so women's sports gear has come on leaps and bounds but it's still nowhere near where it needs to be is it no Um, what would you say to people listening that are finding it frustrating having something that's uncomfortable or doesn't fit properly or something you know are there any brands that you recommend or anything you can say that will help people kind of think positively about the experience at the minute I'm currently probably the first time feeling the most comfortable in a sports bra that I have done in all my sporting life. And I think with it is I'd give advice that you've got to spend the money on it. Yeah, and it's not cheap, is it? No, it's not. don't want to call it an investment, but if you spend the money on it, you invest in a lot. I feel a bit more comfortable now. Obviously, it's not 100%, but still now I feel better. I feel comfortable. The support's there. So it's just really researching it's like peace of mind isn't it if you've got the right sports bra that fits you can go out and play the game and have one less thing to worry about (laughs) it takes a little bit longer to get in it but (laughs) in the long (laughs) run you might need the help getting in it and out of it it's a two-person job is it (laughs) yeah it can be yeah is it the sort of thing that can malfunction in mid-match as well oh yeah i've had some experiences with them i've had wire snap poking up it can get really uncomfortable and once like say a wire snaps and you're there trying to play a contact game you could potentially have to come off the pitch this is actually potentially quite dangerous isn't it yeah I don't think there are many sports bras that have wire in them anymore are there yeah you can yeah a lot now are like I say if you spend the money on it you can get a decent non-wired one that is very comfortable I'm guessing as well, if it do have a malfunction mid-match, it's not the sort of thing you can just rearrange in front of however many people are watching, (laughs) is it? I don't think it's something you could do, no. (laughs) It's a bit of a shit excuse, isn't it, as well? Sorry, I need a timeout. I've got to come off the pitch. My front-zipping sports bra has come undone. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. It can get a little bit embarrassing, yeah. In terms of brands or, or different things you can recommend to others that might be listening, what would you say people in a similar situation would be advised to go and uh, try on you're probably gonna have to edit this bit because i'm not going to be able to say this panacea 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 yeah that's a really good make that it's expensive but certainly worth it the one i personally got was 40 pounds wow that's a lot of money and and that's just for one (laughs) 
Can we play a game of, basically, we'll go around the circle and you've got to say a different word for tits each time. I'm a 40-year-old man. I can't talk about it. I've just turned into Benny Hill. And yet you have only been talking about boobs, really. How have I only been talking about boobs? Well, since about minute 16. Okay, let's actually talk about boobs, but in a productive way. So we're not doing my game? I was thinking yeah, related to rugby to the game, but instead of like tit names, tit names that refer to rugby. That's All far right. too complicated, Jodie. Yeah. That's way too complicated. All right. That's simple. Right. What's your favourite word for boobs? Then, you know, you kick us off with that. I've got a select few. So I've got titties, which is nice. a firm fave. Tatas. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Well, it's, it's Scottish. It reminds me of potatoes. Okay. Coconuts. <laughs> nice. I like that. Fruity. Bacon hangers. What? What? Bacon hangers. Bacon hangers? These are generally what we did in rugby in uni. And then my other one is Danny DeVito's. Danny DeVito's. Wait, like can we go it. back to the bacon thing? Why are you hanging bacon off your tits? No, we're not. It's, it's a meta... Like, it's... <coughs> Saggy tips. And then the uh, other one, which uh, is my firm favourite, the girls. Yeah, that's nice. It's, it's one kind of, of my gentle. faves. Yeah, I like The that. girls. Go on then, Jodie. Mm. The big boys. But, you know, we don't want to flatter myself. I think I like the name Jugs. Just sounds nice Jugs. in my mouth. Jugs. Probably my favourite are knockers. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just visualising Jodie going, the Jugs, they feel good in my mouth. Such a lesbian No, thing no, not yeah. the Jugs. I mean the word. The word Jugs. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. Look. No, I meant it rolls off the tongue. Jugs. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to off your tongue, Jodie, when it comes to talking about uh, it. That's not what I meant. My dad listens to this podcast. Hello, Jodie's dad. Hello, Jodie's dad, yeah. Hi, Jodie's dad. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Bet you're so proud. <laughs> Thanks, Malk. Thanks for the support. Cheers, Malk. You gone for knockers? I like that. No, let's get that. It's quite breast. classic, isn't it? That sort of... breast. Posh I don't breast. like the word breast. It sounds. It makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. That word. Because it reminds you of like your fillet. <laughs> Matt, is yours the man boobs? Moobs. The man boobs. Sorry, I don't know why I find that so the funny. Boys. <laughs> the boys, the girls, and the boys. The, boys. <laughs> the girls and the boys. Melons. Nice. Boobicles. <laughs> Breasticles. I like that one. Breasticles is one of good one I use a lot, actually. I think boobicles are referring to smaller breasts, which is why I don't use it very often, but I would like to use that term. What about mm. hooters? Or is that hooters? too American? It's very American, isn't it? A yeah. little bit American. Have you got a funny story about hooters? Who did that? <laughs> By the way, Jodie's got a hooter sound on tap. It's like, of course she fucking has. Course, so, yeah, it's like the drugs. Like, that was my mouth. When she's sexting away. Yeah. <laughs> good. It's a bit, that was a very lower tone one. You're like a human beatbox machine, basically. Yeah, just get little sound bites of me. Brad Pitts. Brad Pitts, yeah. like it. A bit of rhyming mm. slang. Oh, Anton Deck. I could name them. Oh, puppies. Forgot Phil about and Grant. Rap. The Mitchells. <laughs> the Mitchells. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Anyway, the reason we're talking about this is because sports bras, as it, it turns out, are a very important piece of equipment for rugby teams. Girls, what is your experience of the sports bra dilemma? I never got sort of into the whole sports bra thing, so I just bought the cheapest, and I've always just gone with the cheapest. And I haven't felt much pain playing and it's never bothered me it's only when people like turn around and go jody you need to get a better sports bra because my tits are flying around 
I do need to invest in an actually expensive sports bra rather than one from Primark. Actually, I do remember one of the first matches when I met you, Jodie, and um, we were playing away somewhere. And at the end of the match, you're like, oh, I'm so hot. I'll take my top off. And we're like, oh, that's a bit forward, isn't it? Uh, just as well, she's wearing some sort of sports bra. Very forward, I thought. Really? Is that your first oh. memory of me? No, it's not my first memory of you. My first memory of you was doing that amazing tackle. Oh, my God. It was like a vertical, no, horizontal tackle on some player you nearly killed her. I think our listeners need to hear this story. So we're playing against, where was it? Darlington. Was it Darlington? No, Doncaster. We won 10-5. I remember this game. It's my first game for crew in Antwich. So we've been promoted the year before and we went over to Doncaster and it was one of the most physical games I've ever seen. And we had a, a bit of a mismatch of a team and they were very, very well drilled and very physical. And we'd managed to score two tries season breakaway from one of our wingers we were leading 10-5 and their fly half came through the line absolutely clean through on the try line out of nowhere came Jody like some kind of exocet missile and having spent most of the game either offside or lumbering her way from breakdown to I was breakdown on the bench I was doing you? you weren't yeah. on the bench you're just sitting on the bench because you couldn't be bothered to stand on the pitch probably you took out their fly half about 10 metres from the try line with such force that everybody on the side of the pitch and probably three pitches away exhaled loudly. And that's how you established your reputation as being a heavy hitter. I like that one. Did a bit of a swear yeah. because like, damn, damn what yeah. the hell happened there? I remember it clearly because you put me on the bench because obviously you'd never seen me play rugby before. And you're like, oh, we just don't know what you lie. We'll get a better team. Like, oh, yeah, fair enough. And then I came on. I was like, oh, okay, I wasn't subbed the next game. So no, happy you about that. Subbed. Yeah, you were on no. the starting 15 next game. Yeah, but the only the reason I got on to get him was because our resident gingerbread hurt herself. And that's my very first memory of her, <laughs> is being a gingerbread. You've got to thank gingerbreads for their service because they present opportunities for other players to get in the team. Bread say to you last week, Matt. She wasn't very happy with me last week. She says no. we weren't friends anymore after I put her in. It's um, about her hurty yeah, back. Shout out for the fallen. Her hurty back, yeah. Apparently she was upset with me because I talked about her hurty back, even though she has got a hurty back. Anyway, going back to sports bras. So, Lou, your experience of sports bras. Right. Well, I bought one about 15 years ago and it was quite expensive at the time, but a very grandma-ish and it's pretty much lasted me. That's my experience. Along with her purple knickers. Yeah, look, right. My purple pants, my shin guards that I had since I was 18. So that's only 10 years, to be fair. And um, my sports bra I've had for a little bit longer than that. And actually, to be fair, it has reached its elastic limit. And also only one of the little claspy things at the back works now. I did try to buy a new one from Sainsbury's with my replacement purple pants, I bought what I thought was an amply sized one. Turns out I couldn't even get it over my head, which is a bit of a problem. <laughs> so and maybe I need to revisit and sort of do a bit of a sizing situation. When I first started rugby, I actually used to play in a, uh, a wonder bra and I thought nothing of it because honestly, they were a lot smaller back then. I had no, ch- I, you know, not had any kids, but they used to just like stay where they were and that was fine with me. But 
yeah, things have changed a lot more now. I just honestly don't know what I would do when I get back to playing rugby now because I need some suggestions. It's going to be bad times. Playing with one that doesn't fit properly, how does it impact the way you feel about playing and your actual performance? I mean, does it have any impact at all? Part of your brain is focused on your boob situation <laughs> you know you're thinking oh my god this is really uncomfortable and just really doing my head in and don't feel right but you can't exactly go off the pitch and say just a minute I'm just going to rearrange my mammaries in this really unfitting sports bra Initials. yeah <laughs> my tatty bojangles there's nowhere to do it because we're on the third team pitch which is the furthest away and there's no you know there's nowhere to go and rearrange yourself it's like when your lace is quando and you spend most of the game wrangling them babies getting them back in making sure they're safe because a big tackle more than likely they come out you can actually yeah, have malfunctions on the pitch well, you're so obviously watching the game so you don't see us we put them back in you'll see us fiddling around with our tops obviously you're watching where the ball goes but you see the people who just come off a tackle and they're there trying to rearrange them again see that's not good though is it because the new players coming into the game they maybe haven't experienced this it must be quite off-putting when you've got a, a baying mob of supporters that are standing there, beer in hand, cheering away or whatever. You then get tackled, have a bit of a wardrobe malfunction. It must be quite uncomfortable psychologically as well as physically. Well, Matt, when you look so composed and beautiful and elegant like me on the rugby pitch, <laughs> you don't really, you know, can, why is everyone laughing, the wankers? You don't really think about it. <laughs> Your tits are the last thing you think about. It's more about, where's my tackle, blah, blah, blah. I need to get to that rook, etc. But I think it depends on the type of sports bra that you wear. So there's a couple of types which you might not be aware of. One I'll talk about very unlovingly because it involves a zip. But the other ones, like you can get sports bras that are pretty much the same as a normal bra, but without the wire. And your boob can occasionally slip out of that in a tackle. Or you can also get ones now which are like crop tops, but they're that tight that your boob can't come out, which are also a good one. And then the other one is the the zip, where the zip goes up the middle of the tatties. It has been a bit of a situation for you in the past, hasn't it, Mom? <sighs> it's been a trauma. A situation. <laughs> yeah. So when I worked for Marks and Spencers many moons ago, these people in the lingerie department were like, this sports bra is amazing. You can wear it for high impact sport, foolproof, blah, blah, blah. You know that horrible moment where you zip your coat up and then the zip breaks from the bottom, not the top? <laughs> it's the most devastating moment when you realize that your coat is now dead. However, when you're playing rugby and your fucking tits fall out, because your zipper's broken from the bottom. That is way, way more devastating than any coat that you will ever lose. How did I that do... play out? How did you get subbed off? Like, what's up? You're injured. I was trying to re-zip it up for you. I think I'm like, babe, it's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> no other... I was like, I'm trying my best, but it's knackered. Yeah, Louise, bless her, as my best friend and as the vice captain, got the job of zipping the captain's tatties back into a bra that was quite honestly fucked. 
There was no saving it. Can you hold that one in and also hold the other? (laughs) Staple it. Apart from the fact that I just had to play on with the Babylon's whappings from side to side, (laughs) I I genuinely can't really remember what we did apart from I remember getting into the changing rooms, cupping my own breasts and holding them going, oh, God, it feels good for some support. Because I genuinely had none for about 40 minutes of a game and there was nothing I could fucking do. And Louise tried her best, but she could not save the shitting sports bra. It's quite honest to say that when I went back to work on Monday, I did not leave a stellar review for high-impact sports with a zipped bra. How did that make them feel after playing? Was it like your tits had been hit by the rugby boss? They were so sore. Like, genuinely, they did not feel in a good way. So, poor Louise, bless her. I'm lifting my top up and she's trying to put the boys back into the bra. And quite frankly, Phil didn't want to go in. Phil Mitchell was having none of it. It was a no-go situation. (laughs) Yeah. Peggy could not get the boys to go back in their hole. They weren't going back in the boozer. The boozer was broke. Get out of my bra! They were fucking out of the pub. So out of the pub. Yes, they were. Just a note for all of our millions of listeners. Don't bother buying a zip-up front bra. Don't bother going to M&S. That's what it is. No, I went in with my partner to get my boobs sized just after lockdown going to a wedding. And that I'll try them on and it's like, oh, my partner's outside waiting for me. And I'm like, oh, I found the perfect one. And the assistant goes, Oh, do you want me to go get your mum, see if she likes it? (laughs) I was going to say yes, but then she said, mum was like, no, no, don't do that. Because I can just see them going out to her and going, oh, mum, your daughter's in there. And I was just like, oh, filled me with embarrassment. But I couldn't say to this poor, lovely lady, she must have spent 20 minutes helping me out there. So I didn't want to go, no, you're wrong. So I was just like, no, it's okay. My mum's fine. Thank you. So awkward. And now, we remember our fallen teammates who laid down their mobility and dignity in the noble struggle against the tyranny of skill and athleticism. Chloe Wallington devises ladies. Torn thumb ligament. Beth Davis, stone roses. Broken rib. Bonnie Fleming. Eccles ladies broken collarbone Claire Ricks Stafford ladies broken little toe Georgia Cunliffe Eccles ladies broken leg Jordan Morris Crew and Nantwich ladies No idea, but she plays tomorrow, so watch this space. They shall grow not cold, as we that are left grow cold. Breakdowns shall not weary them, nor the muds condemn. At the going down of the scrum and in the mauling, we will remember them. To our fallen comrades, we salute you.
it's not pretty when it goes wrong but there is a bit of contention in the media about three months ago about whether people who have got smaller breasts who like to wear underwired bras should be allowed to why would they not be allowed to because it's a it's a risk so you know we've all been in that situation where we've been going to the office or going to the shop and we've got a pain under our arm and the wire has popped out in normal life last week i just broke the wire underneath one of the charlies and that wasn't (laughs) even playing rugby who the fuck right, is so Charlie now? Injured, injury to yourself then rather than another player. So what's the point of wire in the first place? Give you a support. hoist. Your hoist. The shape. It goes under, doesn't it? How's that mm-hmm. supporting? Matt, let's not know. go into the physics of getting the BAPs on point, right? But basically... <laughs> Literally on point. Yeah, on point. But unfortunately, when you're playing rugby, you can't really deal with a wire going into your armpit, can you? It's a bit of a hazard. No. Even worse, it went into somebody else's armpit. Exactly. Oh, no, that's all right if it's someone else's armpit. <laughs> if it's your own, it's the problem. Yeah, so it's the same <laughs> argument as the hair grip. So we shouldn't be allowed to wear metal hair grips for rugby. And that's a bone of contention as well. So. Yeah, no, I totally agree with both of those, actually. You shouldn't be wearing hair grips and you really shouldn't have wire in your bra. Could you imagine some sort of boob stabbage injury? Firstly... That would be so painful. But secondly, it's like the shittest rugby injury ever. Yeah, that would definitely go on the fallen. I wonder if anybody's actually been injured, been out of a game because of a sports bar injury. If anybody's listening that's had that happen, get in touch. We'd love to hear about that. we need that story. One of the things that's come out of conversation with a number of people recently is the importance of feeling comfortable in your kit, not just your mental health, but also your enjoyment of playing the game. And it's something that, as a coach, I certainly never really thought about. So when we were back in the day trying to find a way of getting some kit in, I'm ashamed to say this in a way, we kind of looked at the team in pictures and said, these are the sort of sizes we need. We didn't really consider how it might make you guys feel. What's your experience been of feeling really uncomfortable and anxious, if you like, because gear you're wearing is not appropriate? So I used to have lots of anxiety about going to matches and what shirt I was going to get because I knew that the one, two, three, I think it was the number one fit nicely as in it was just slightly baggy, but really not that tight. But the other two were ridiculously tight and it used to be like a scrabble to get the one that I knew fit me right. And I knew there'd be one out of the three of us that'd be a bit pissed off and a bit annoyed that we got the really tight one. It played on my mind before the match. I would feel very self-conscious actually playing a match if I got a top that was really, really tight. I'm like, I should be focusing on my rugby, but actually I'm thinking not what everybody else thinks about me, but what I think about myself and how I feel like I look in that top. I think it got even worse. I was playing for Cheshire the first time and the tops were slip even there, smaller Nelly. i slip just slipped that, that in there, there. yeah but <laughs> the point is i could hardly get the top over my flipping head i'm not even joking i could hardly breathe you know i was pissed off and a bit upset actually about that because that was on my mind rather than focusing on the rugby yeah i agree and with I know you, there. you can't measure everybody who might potentially play in that position before you order the tops but Roughly a general size of front row players, second row players, flankers, number eight, and backs. Maybe that's being a bit generalistic, but it's kind of the case. 
and the tops seems to get ordered and i hate to say this by men generally uh, someone in the committee of the club which is the umbrella of the club just ordered the same as the men certainly i got to a point where in the end i was like oh, do you know what i'll just fuck it i don't care just give me a top and i'll just play and i'm not here to win any fashion competitions i'll just go get over it and play rugby but it took me quite a long time to get to that stage <laughs> you know yeah, definitely jody you're pretty tall aren't you how yeah. does that impact your ability to buy kit that fits well, for feet, I've got normal size feet. A lot of tall people have really long feet. I know they struggle to get boots that are outside of a normal size. But for me, tall person, average size feet. It's only when it comes to the team kit, like Lou says, you always have that number that you know is your number that you know fits well because you've tried on every single one. You felt too baggy in that one. You felt too fat in that one. It's too tight. You can't move your arms in that one. It's kind of like a Goldilocks thing. You know, tried and tested which one's your favorite one. And for me, it's the number four. And I get a bit hit up when I'm like, oh, she's got a number four on. And I, I know I'm a sub, but she's got a number four on. And I'm like, what am I going to play in? That's sort of anxious. Oh, what am I going to play in next? Is going to be too big? It's going to be too tight? It's surprising how much you guys have to think about this, really. As a player, you know, we typically just squeeze ourselves into something when I was playing and get on with it and not really think about it. But yeah, it's, it, you know, I guess coaches out there that are listening, particularly when you're at the start of, your journey is developing a team you need to invest more time in this than you probably realize it's had a big impact on our squad and the feedback has been from every team i've spoken to to get this right and you you know you're on to a winner it's really difficult on a women's team because i saw something on a media campaign and they took a picture of four different women that were the exact same clothes size yet they were significantly different in size, height, weight, fat content to muscle ratio. The pictures were ridiculous. and You looked at them and thought, you can't all be a size 14. You can't all be a size 16. And I think with men, I can quite easily fit into a men's lard and I wouldn't have to think about if it fit properly. But to buy a women's dress, you could buy a 12, 14, a 16 and an 18. And potentially they would not all fit the same person. They're very shape-specific. And I think that's why women's kit is different. So, you know, you could have somebody that's five foot two, Holland said, very short, that's 13 stone and wears a size 16. And you could have somebody that's six foot two and very skinny that also wears a size 16 shirt. And a lot of the time, when we get the shirts for rugby, they're not in 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22 women's sizes. They're actually in large, extra large, etc., which are men's sizes. And it just doesn't work the same. What we were saying about Halbro before and me talking about Zoe Oldcroft and just being like amazed by the fact that she wants to be their ambassador Women's kit's really important if we want to keep women in the sport because a lot of us care a lot more about image and how we feel on the pitch of how we look than possibly men do. And I don't think that's a sexist thing. I think that's a realistic thing. No, I, th- no, I was going to say, it's a scary statistic that something like 80% of girls aged between the age of 13 and 16 don't do enough exercise to keep themselves fit and uh, well below the the recommended amount from the uh, the government but also only a tiny percentage actually go on to do team sports actually stick with it 
So they're doing team sport at 13, 80% quit and never go back to it for the rest of their lives. Not just whilst they're teenagers, they just quit entirely. And one of the number one things that was cited when they did some research into why this was, was because equipment, uniform and all that kind of stuff at school wasn't adequate. So they're going out to practice hockey or whatever it was in freezing cold weather, wearing a skirt and a top that wasn't fitting them properly, for example. And the experience that gives them of feeling uncomfortable, self-conscious, cold, is enough to put them off playing for the rest of their lives. And that is really quite upsetting to hear. With my daughter, she's 11 now, playing hockey at the moment. And I take it really seriously when she goes out to play that she's wearing the right gear, she's enjoying her experience. Because there'll be a point where she doesn't want to do it. And the more barriers are in the way, the greater the likelihood is that she's going to quit. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me, like Lou was saying. The stress and the concern of not necessarily always the bigger players, of wanting that really good shirt that fits, it's an extra thing that potentially plays on people's minds. It happens quite a lot for our smaller players. So on a women's rugby team, sometimes you do get maybe three or four people that are significantly smaller, whether that's because they're petite or they're shorter or just genuinely small, that play rugby, that actually worry because the shirts that they get are always too big. And I know in our kit, we only have two small shirts. For someone that's tiny, to come against these bigger players on the pitch is a big milestone and a big thing for them to overcome. But then to have to be singled out because they are smaller to wear a massive shirt... I just think it's something that we should get right and it's really easy to get right. We just need to get the appropriate kit providers. It's a progression in mentality within rugby clubs as well because traditionally the kit has just been bought by one probably slightly balding older guy who's just ordered it year on year or every couple of years. And to order a women's kit is just another part of his job within the rugby club actually there's a lot more to it and they don't realize and let's be honest money to buy a full kit you're looking at 12 1300 quid something like that but i personally view that as a necessary investment for clubs teams that want to get involved with this get out there and find some ways of raising funds it's you know it's hard work it's not difficult to do but it requires coordination and that end goal in sight and you will get there and the impact it will have on your squad will be more than you probably appreciate Grassroots News with Lou. I do have an amusing kit-related story that I've seen this last week, and it's from Rizwan Awan, and he says, Hello everyone, hope you are fine. I'm professional manufacturer and export. (laughs) I have wood best 100% quality of sport products, wood-wide shipping. (laughs) If you want any product, please contact me. Rizwan is a manufacturer of sports kit. And yeah, he's been advertising on the Women's Rugby Network. And also the pictures are really enticing. I'm very tempted to buy a picture of some kits that he's pictured on this post. And it's basically a picture of what can be described as bedwear uh, (laughs) slash sports kit. And it's actually laid out on a bed. (laughs) 
<laughs> with some used towels at the top and some shoes and some pants and some various bits of clothes at the bottom of the picture. Are you messaging me yet for prices? Yeah. I've, He's got um, good offer. Could he do the women's kit? I'm waiting to hear some prices. Oh, I think it'll be between two and that. four quid per <laughs> item. <laughs> Will he embroider some flannels for us as well? Yeah, I mean, whether we actually receive anything is yeah. another <laughs> subject altogether. Thanks um, for his one. Who needs some cheap kit? Well, actually, I don't know if it's cheap or not. It's probably not. It probably seems cheap when you put your credit card details in and then becomes very, very expensive over the next 10 years when you have to pay back the money that's missing from your account. The second story is Market Bosworth Rugby Club are advertising for under 13 girls to join their club. It's not just this club and this under 13s group, but a lot of clubs at the moment are advertising for people to join their teams. But this specific club are trying to grow their under 13s game with players. They're offering free end of season tour places for all new players. Wow. And I just thought that was a really good offer, actually, if you were thinking of looking for a team locally. It depends where they're going on tour, though. If they're coming to Crew, then <laughs> probably find another team. If they're going to Ibiza or somewhere cool, then get involved. Great idea. And the third and quite a controversial thing I thought at the moment was the Leicester Tigers post that I saw this week. I don't know if the rest of you saw this. I know we've discussed a big it. contention. Yeah, isn't it? So they're trying to recruit players. They've had an overwhelming response, but they're recruiting non-rugby people, basically. And also, obviously, people who may have played but aren't affiliated to any club. So I just wondered what you guys thought about that. I know Vicky quite well, Vicky McQueen. And I think, yeah, well, hi, she Vicky. is... Hi, Vicky. Share the pod, Vicky. I, yeah, please share the pod. Uh, Rocky Clock follows us, so, you know, you might as well follow suit. But no... DM um, Jodie. <laughs> DM, DM Jodie. If I don't DM you first. <laughs> Block her, Vicky. Do not let Jodie slide into your DMs. I know Vicky from Diddy Rugby, and obviously she played for England. Again, another name drop. But I think it's fantastic what they're trying to do with the whole Leicester Litchfield setup. But the bone of contention is that the post went out to say, please come along, we've got an open trial. And they stipulated that they wanted to entice people that play different sports to come and try rugby to see if they could, you know, convert the skills. So I know Shauna Brown and quite a few other people that play for England now actually didn't have rugby as their number one sport and they play different sports. But because they've got transferable skills, they've made fantastic rugby players out of them. And then everyone's applied for this open trial. And I think Leicester, to be honest, have been overwhelmed by the amount of applicants they've had and they've had to go, hang on a minute, what do we do? So some people in the rugby community have gone, hang on, you said it was an open trial and now you've told me I can't come because I already play rugby, what's going on? I can kind of see why people are pissed off, but at the same time, you know, I don't think Leicester were probably prepared for how successful they were going to be. I don't know any inside info, I'm guessing that is the plan, but I think it's hard because obviously Litchfield had a really tough time, didn't they, when they first started the Prem. Yeah, it went, it went to Waterloo rather than Litchfield. Yeah. yeah, so they missed out massively. And I think they potentially felt very hard done by, as did quite a lot of us in the northwest, because we were rooting for Litchfield to get in. And then it felt like, well, hang on a minute, Waterloo are now in and Sale Sharks are now in. What about poor Litchfield? I felt like they were the poor relations. So 
I'm hoping the Women's Rugby Network will calm down eventually and everyone will realise that, yeah, we're going to let people who don't play rugby in first and then we're going to reopen it back out and try and get as many people involved in the Litchfield setup as possible. The thing I like about it is the problem that grassroots women's rugby faces more than anything else is attracting new players into the game. And there's naturally a feeding frenzy around university intakes and things like that and teams that could benefit from that. And teams are essentially fighting over too small a pool of potential players. So the thing I like about it is they're saying, right, we're going to use a bit of sports science here and actually take some scientific measurements of people's physiology. We're going to do some fitness measurements. You know, it's essentially just we see where people are at and where they can potentially play. Then we're going to actually invest some time in coaching expertise and getting people to the point of playing rugby, which I, I absolutely endorse as a strategy. I think it's brilliant. And more and more teams should think about that as a way of getting people into the game. The difficult bit is around the players that want to see a pathway to playing Prem rugby. Now, this is really challenging. So one thing I always found frustrating as a coach was we had two teams quite close to us, Waterloo when they were Prem, and actually even beforehand, they were always on our radar and, and, and now more recently sale. Now, the challenge I think that we got at the minute in grassroots is how do we give our emerging talent through the age groups the right apprenticeship, if that's the right word, into playing senior rugby. So what I can see already happening at Crew and Nantwich is you've got some very talented under-18s that have been nurtured and coached and supported through never touching ball before, both through the touch programme, through the minis and juniors, and now into the Crew and Nantwich Roses. Coaches have invested huge amounts of time and energy into supporting them. We're there in the seniors thinking, great, we've got a nice pipeline of talent coming in from the, the juniors into the seniors, so we don't have to worry as much as we used to about retirements, injuries, ACL injuries, all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, we're seeing these academies popping up and saying, come try out with us. And it could be a, a sales Sharks player next season, whatever. And I find that really frustrating because the talented juniors, understandably, are going to look at these big teams and think, oh, you know, I could be a sell shark. And I've got no issue with that as a coach. But what I do have an issue with is the actual player management after that point. So I think that players will always benefit from an apprenticeship in playing senior rugby from 18, for maybe a year, a year or two, maybe play on loan up if they really are talented. But to gain that experience of playing against more physical, more experienced players before they, if you like, pin their colours to the mast and sign for a bigger club. What I'm worried about is players are going to get attracted to this academy system, going to go too early without any real senior rugby experience and just get burnt by it. They're not going to get game time, they're not going to get enough one-on-one coaching and ultimately they're going to disappear from the game. And we've already started to see that with players that have you know, gone in for those sorts of come-be-part-of-our-squad things. feels yeah. a little bit like... They're just trying to hoover up all the really good players in the area, get them on the books, and then pick the best from that. And what they don't think about is what happens to those players after they don't make it into the senior squad in the first season. Because they're unable to play often down and back at NC1 or 2. They don't want to because they don't see it as a particularly attractive thing to do. And you're losing players from the game. I feel really passionate about this. But actually, I agree with you, Matt, on everything that you've said. Although it's frustrated a lot of people by the way that they've done it and it maybe wasn't as clear as, and that's creating more rugby players. So in that aspect, I think it's really clever. However, down to the local teams, the ones that don't carry on post-premiership. But I've been there. I've seen it so many times. We've had really talented players. And I know Hannah Thornhill listens to the pod. 
you know, Hannah Thornhill was a, a girl that came to crew. She'd played loads of different sports. She played cricket at a high level, hockey at a high level, played rugby touch at a high level. And she was just one of those natural players. She went away and she did tobogganing or uh, slot, yeah. what's it called? The thing that goes yeah, down skeleton. the shoe. Yeah. Skeleton. But GB, an yeah. absolutely amazing and outstanding sportswoman that's got transferable skills. If we can get people like that that are playing other sports potentially that haven't got to the higher level, transfer them into rugby and create this amazing team for the Northwest, then I'm all for it. The one thing that's always irritated me is I never ever had any contact with the coaching from the Prem teams. And it used to irritate me that the coach of Waterloo didn't give me a call or drop me an email and say, Look, we want to provide a pathway for your best players. Can we have a chat with you? Can we, you know, have a look at what you're doing down in Green Antwich? Because we were obviously at that point and still are, you know, a, a bit of a force to be reckoned with in the area. But instead, it was always done through the back door. There was always messages going to players that were deemed pretty good. Come try out, come try out, come to training, all the rest of it. Nobody once came to me and said, I've heard good things about so-and-so. What are your thoughts? Because I give them absolute honesty. I didn't want to restrict anybody or prevent anybody from progressing. Quite the opposite. There were players that went off to play for Waterloo at the time that were not ready for that level of rugby. And they came back from the experience not particularly positive. Yeah, I think sometimes potentially it was some coaches would be accused of being selfish and, and just trying to build their numbers and build their player base. And actually they weren't thinking about what's best for this player. Is it best that they come and train with the Premiership but they don't play another couple of seasons and they carry on their career at Crown Antwich or is it best that actually I build my player base and look good for numbers and I, and I totally yeah. agree with you I don't think player welfare was always the centre of what the coaches were thinking of I think they were just thinking of oh well I need this amount of players on my books to be able to function. Horny Thorny I don't think she actually left Crown Antwich because she was going on to play other sports I think it was because of my snoring <laughs> I think <laughs> I yeah. think that's why she left Crew Nantwich and went on to other things. We played an away match for Cheshire. Thank you. Me and Hannah were actually sharing a room and um turns out, even without a skin full of booze, I snore quite badly. She couldn't sleep at all, that she even tried to sleep in the bath without any water on, um, but with the fan on. And also you could hear me down the corridor. So She was a broken woman. The morning after, she was broken. So I was going to say, Hannah, come what back to the Antwich, but now I can kind of see why, <laughs> why you stayed away. This is Molly's Grassroots Salutes. My salute is for university rugby sides. Now, I'm not going to do a specific team because I've been scrolling through the rounds of the University Books League and I wanted to give a shout out to them. So, university teams, I played for Liverpool Hope. We were called No Hope. But, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, but fuck you all because we won the league and the cup in one year. So that's right. a need for me. Not getting sympathy off me again. <laughs> calm your mammaries. My mammaries are calm. Your tig old bitties. <laughs> I think we should put a post out. I'm going to put some tits out on the gram and see, not my tits, just general tits, to see how many different words we could come up for the uh, the old boys after the pod. What I wanted to say is I wanted to shout out to all the university teams 
games and give a grassroots salute to everybody that plays university rugby because I don't know if people are aware that have never been to university. It is the worst rugby I have ever played in my whole entire life. Holy shit, it is crap. One of the best socials you'll <laughs> ever go on. I have literally never played in games where less people know the rules ever. And that's <laughs> even playing with Sherry on a weekly basis. <laughs> there is no form of rules. There are people that didn't make the netball squad or they got kicked out of Bokia or whatever that thing is that you throw the ball with. Uh, they've got no clue how to play rugby. And I but see. They like the lager. Yeah, they can drink. <laughs> they go to circles on a Wednesday. Everything is a pound a pint. They get absolutely shit faced. Get with a football boy. Do all the most horrendous things possible. And then they still turn up to training on a Thursday morning after the social on a Wednesday night. And I just thought, what? do you know what? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who has training on a Thursday morning after the Wednesday night? We always had it on a Thursday. Always. This is a big insight into your uni years, Mark. It's not okay. I'd be dead. I don't think we went to the gym on a Thursday morning. But anyway. What? Um, <laughs> yes. You went, you went on the gym on a Thursday? Gym yes, I went on, on a Thursday. Thursday. I just wanted to say a shout out to all these universities that are now following us on Instagram. So we've got Sheffield Hallam, Liverpool Woo! Hope, Liverpool Uni. Lancaster Uni. Nice. There's absolutely loads of them, and their posts are hilarious. And all these people that they keep posting pictures of look like the most. They don't even look like women's rugby players. They just look like a of collective. Course they don't because they're not originally yeah, or they got... intentionally women's rugby players. The problem with university rugby is that every year a third of your players are new. Yeah, Staffs Uni. So they played a game the other day, and they won something ridiculous, like. Oh, no, it was Keele, Keele University. They lost, like, 95-0. And they were all still smiling after oh, ready to get on the stash. That is 100% a university rugby team scoreline. Sorry, I lied. It was 115-0. I sent it to Matt and said, please put this on Dickin of the Week. The caption for Keele, which I loved, was, tough week this week, but congrats really? to Manga on their win. <laughs> Hashtag Keel Army, hashtag next time better. I mean, you can't get much fucking worse than 115 what? nil girls. 105 nil, that might be better. Yeah, uni rugby is just the tits. The norks. Uh. <laughs> Go back to the subjects of tits, actually. This is probably one of the most grassroots things I've seen in a while. Some of you might have listened to Darren from Stourbridge Ladies on the on the pod last episode. Really nice interview. They all went to see the Red Roses play last week. And massive shout out and another a mini grassroots salute to, I don't have the name actually, I need to get the name, one of the front row from Starbridge Ladies, she actually got the Red Roses to sign her tit. So I've got yes. a photo oh my God. in front of I me I love now. that. That is so grassroots and just so women's rugby. So all whoever you are, I don't know, there's quite a lot of signatures, but there's also quite a lot of tits. So. <laughs> is it player per tit or is it a breast a pair? <laughs> I'd say there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven signatures, and somebody's drawn a penis on her tits as well. Were you there? Um, also, <laughs> yeah, with her permission, I'll publish it, but it's, it's a very funny picture. Front row for Starbridge Ladies. That oh, is very wow. grassroots. Massive. Oh, well done. Massive I bloody you. love that. Love that. What we got was a voice note. That's really ridiculous. Can you send Lucy back out there? Well, we got a voice note from Portia Woodman, to be fair. 
So new section. So we boxed off the wonderful Fancy 15. So now we're in the run up to Christmas, which is crazy because we're not even in December yet. This section is going to be called the 12 Finds of Christmas. So the idea is we've got about three pods in between now and Christmas and finds in women's rugby, in any grassroots rugby flat matter, are a major part of the game. So what we're going to do is count down 12 finds that all teams should have part of their arsenal for punishing the miscreants in the squad that don't live by the rules. You're going to do one each per yeah. recording? Yeah. Oh, good. Jodie, you can kick us off. Drink your club colours. Ooh, drink your club colours. Mm. I like Everyone's it. Everyone's got a club drink, haven't they, of their colours. Matt likes it It's because he's probably not had to do it before. But you know yeah. what our club drink is, Matt? One and gin. Guinness and Bailey's. No. Guinness and Bailey's. Oh, black and white. And gin. Dear God. Black and white. There must be some colours that are impossible to drink or really, really awful to drink. No. Give it a go. Well, Bailey's and Guinness is a bit awful. Have you seen it? Congealed. Yeah. It's really disgusting. Yeah. Any team listening, so what's your club colours and what would the drink be attached to it? I think that'd be really interesting to hear. Yeah. Good find, Jodie. Molly, what's your, what's your fine? Naked lap. A naked lap? Naked lap round the pitch. Has that ever happened? Have you ever actually do a naked lap? I haven't, no, because I'm not a twat, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm normally one of the more senior members of the squad. I never have to do it, but I do know that one of our teammates had to do a naked lap round Nottingham two years ago, Jodie. I don't know if you remember. Was this oh, you, Jodie? Jody. No, it wasn't Jodie. No, no, of course it wasn't you, no. But there she was, was probably a chasing the person doing it. Yeah, she was like, touch me, touch me. I, I was there, I don't remember. I remember a bloke grabbed my phone and he was running naked and took a selfie of him running. And I've still got that somewhere. <laughs> it traumatise you for life. You just see it in the corner, his little tackle. Weird. A penis. Uh, yeah, so basically the naked lap consists of either running around the tour site where you're on tour or getting your baps and your punani out and <laughs> running around the pitch. Nice. I did a naked scrum once. That was pretty unpleasant. What? Did you enjoy it? No, uh, I can't pretend I did. Particularly what given that... were you huh? playing, Matt? I can't remember. I think I was tight head, perhaps. It was just some basic binding on, on the moves. There was only three of us, thankfully. There wasn't a second row, because that could have been... No, there was no second row, thankfully. When we would pack down, which wasn't a very nice sight, everyone nicked our clothes. So it wasn't just a naked scrum. It was like a naked scrum and then a naked fight to get our clothes back and then a naked <laughs> treasure hunt around the clubhouse whilst we tried to find our clothes. So not to be recommended. Brilliant. Yeah. Lou, what's your, what's your fine then for the 12 fines of Christmas? I'm going to go for a really awful old school. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's bad. Does it involve drinking someone sick? No, no, it's worse. This didn't happen to me, but I did see it happen many times. Poo in a pocket. That's what I'm going what? for. Yeah, poo in a pocket. So talk me through this. <laughs> I don't know if they still do this at uni, but you used to have beer gear. You had to wear it every Wednesday night uh, on all rugby occasions, actually. Well, social rugby occasions, not the official ones. And you weren't allowed to wash it either. So the general stealth fine was poo in a pocket so yeah. who does the pooing <laughs> i just the most awful people in the world so this is actually is this one of those urban legends that never actually happened and people just talk about no, it 
No, it's definitely happened. Well, it definitely happened at Surrey University. So were you a pooer or a pooey? Thankfully, neither. Yeah, but it's definitely happened. You weren't allowed to wash your beer gear either. And they were these awful dungarees uh, that came out of Wednesday night. Generally stank. And you could, you could smell the rugby club before you could see them. So this yeah. is going to be a nice Christmas theme section to the podcast. And it's taken a very dark turn. And it's turned into physical abuse. And... Christmas. Let's, let's push out. If anybody out there has had somebody poo in their pocket. It was more put a poo in the ah, pocket, right. not poo in the pocket. I see. That changes things because it could be any kind of poo. It could be like a rabbit poo or something. No, no, it wasn't. Oh, God. There'll be somebody out there listening that's thought, yeah, I remember that. They'll, they'll kind of wipe a tear from their eye as they think wistfully on the good old days where you could still... Put a poo in someone's pocket. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Horrible. Anyway, Jodie, you'll like this fine because you've brought this to the table many times okay. over the last couple of podcast episodes. My fine for the 12 Fines of Christmas is Amy Winehands. Oh, I love that. It's an absolute genius fine where you get two bottles of wine, red or white, or maybe rosé if you're that way inclined, and you duct tape the wine bottles to the hands of the person that's being fined. So they become Amy Winehands. And the only way they can release themselves from the fine misery is by drinking the bottles of wine. You could use it with beer, I suppose, I if you were a bit tame. remember when you did this in uni, the only thing we needed to bring to the social was the wine. But this girl didn't really get the memo. She had these bags of wine attached to her hands all night. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so brilliant. You've got the wine boxes. I think I mean... she had the nickname Baghand for a little while. <laughs> oh. Baghand. That's so horrible. I love wine. What is it? Wine hands? It, Amy wine Amy hands? Wine hands. God, it's a I genius fine. Surrenders. But I love that idea that you just up the ante, couldn't it? Where you say you've got to bring two bottles to the social. And the clever ones amongst us would bring two bottles of water. The seasoned rugby players who've been there, done that. Yeah. And like, oh, have a shot of your choice yeah. in this seventh pub of the evening. Right. Like, mm, I'll have a shot of water, thanks, because I don't want to die. Definitely. And the ones that are, tr- are trying to be all that, they'll bring a couple of bottles of vodka and end up dead or in A&E. Yeah. So Amy Whitehands, brilliant, fine. So get behind it. Takes one for the face. Full in the face. Look at this. Very definition of taking one for the team. Oh my god. That is extraordinary. And the kick lands on the head and offside is accidental. This is Every Team's Got One. So you always get this one player or two or five. Uh, they basically just bum the fucking coaches. <laughs> What happens is they not, they're not normally literally. they're normally a bang average player. They're not the best on the team, and they're also not shit. They're middle of the road, and they just absolutely love praise. So they just want that smoke up their arsehole to give them that little boost. But it's not a one-off. It's incessant. So it's like, oh, I don't really think I played out very well today. Didn't do this, didn't do that. When they know they had a fucking blinder. Yeah, every game. And then any little workout they do or little skill session they do extra, they don't just keep it to them fucking selves. Oh, no, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, 
It's, I need to screenshot the fact that I've just bench-pressed this amount of kg to the coach and get recognition for it. I've just been on a dog walk and I've built a sweat up. Let's message the coach and let them know. Let's put it in the forwards chat or the backs chat and tell them. And it's like, right, rain it in the sunshine. We're not playing for the Prem. We're playing for fucking criminals. Which one is? We always seem to be the one who's always asking what the drills are before session or what's the thingy today or what's the drills for next week. They're always like teacher's pet. Yeah, and they're the ones that do the diagrams and put them in the chat, maybe annotate some video. So the, the bum chum of the the coaches is basically just kisses ass. And it's like when they're in the circle, they always look at the coach like, please give me some praise. I just can't fucking deal with it. Wait, I wanted to just mention something about a message I got. It's in relation to the shower etiquette. I have been doing things behind the scenes, obviously, sciencey stuff, and just like the Chris Whitty of this podcast. Making bollocks up about Amesbury. No, shower. It's not bollocks, Molly. There's a real beef going on. There is a real you shouldn't beef there. make it it's so light hearted like that. Quite evidence. So, yeah. For the shower etiquette at Didcot, Valkyries, we have a ladies' changing room at our club, which have shower keepers. No communal showers for us when we're at home. God, they're posh down south, aren't they? That's not very grassroots. It's not it? very grassroots, definitely. Maybe they should all try and cram into one cubicle. <laughs> that would be grassroots. That would be grassroots. Yeah. This was Grassroots, a podcast by players for players. Thanks so much for listening. To get in touch with the show, please email grassrootswomen at hotmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at grassrootsrugbypod or Twitter at gr underscore rugbypod. Don't forget to like, share and give us a rating or even a review on Apple Podcasts. A brilliant finish. This was Grassroots, women's rugby from the roots up.